All right, so we come now to actually uh, jumping into the text of this uh, book of Acts. And let me just remind you that the book of Acts is Luke's sequel to his gospel. So um, it's, it's the um, continuation of the story that Luke began, the story of the, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, um, of course, is what the gospel of Luke is about. Uh, the, the book of Acts is the story of the continuation of that ministry through the Holy Spirit after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Uh, John Stott said this. I thought it was good. He said, the Jesus Christ we believe in is both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. The Jesus of history began his ministry on earth. The Christ of glory has been active through his spirit ever since, according to his promise to be with his people always to the end uh, of the age. So that is what Acts is. It's a continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit and, of course, the Holy Spirit using um, the apostles and many others. All of that's recorded for us. So, so just so you know, as we journey together through Acts, it's not my purpose to give a commentary on every verse or every uh, event recorded. Uh, that's not the, the, um, the approach that we're taking. What we want to do is focus in on what I believe are the key passages and events uh, for us, the church in the world at the present hour. So I, I think that this is, is a very timely book for us to go through. You know, the women, as we heard earlier, they're, they're launching into their... Uh, yearly study coming up pretty soon, studying through Joshua. And um, their, their theme there has to do with um, the promises and, you know, getting them. Bless you. I can't remember what the first word is. I got, they're, okay, what? Some, they're going to get the promises. They're going to obtain them, you know, inherit them. I know I'm using the wrong word, but okay. So anyway, <laughs> but, you know, that's the... Uh, that, that's great because, of course, the, the book of Joshua talks about God taking the people into the land and them inheriting those things that he promised them. So the book of Acts, I think, is like the New Testament equivalent in a sense because it's the Lord sending out his church not to take the land geographically because that's not our business. That's God's business. The earth is his and everything in it. But it's the, it's the Lord sending out the gospel into the world to bring souls into the kingdom of Christ. And, you know, that really is the, at the end of the day, that is the primary objective and mission of the church. It's to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole world so people can come to know the Savior and be part of his everlasting family. And uh, this book of Acts just tells us how all of that got started. And so for us, it will be um, instructional, obviously, but it'll also be inspirational because we'll see you know, the things that they did and know that those are the very things that God is still doing in the world today. So today, I want to draw your attention to verses four through eight. These are the verses that we'll 
uh, zero in on today. So let me read them to you again, verses four through eight. And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so... These were the, were the words uh, of Jesus, those final words that he left to them before his uh, ascension, that they were to wait for, the first thing he said is the promise of the Father. So what is the promise of the Father? Well, Jesus in his time with his apostles, he spoke to them about the promise of the Father. He spoke to them about the Spirit. And as you might remember, we read through those portions of, of John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus spoke much about the Spirit, the helper that would come, the comforter that would come. And it was there that Jesus said specifically that the Holy Spirit was the one that the Father would send. So this is the, the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the that the Spirit of God would come and all people would experience the work of the Spirit. That the, the work of the Spirit would no longer be limited to just a, a handful of people. Uh, that the work of the Spirit would no longer be limited to just one nation, Israel. But now the work of the Spirit is going to extend all across the planet. So the promise of the Father, I think, could really be summed up from the prophecy of Joel, the second chapter, verses 28 and 29, where it says this. God is speaking. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on all my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the promise of the Father is that there would come a time when he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And that time began back in those days that we're reading about here, the, the days after the resurrection of Jesus and just shortly after his ascension. And it was then that the spirit of God was poured out and that these things began to be realized. Now, uh, in the second chapter of Acts, we're going to read the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus just made to them here. And as we read the fulfillment of it, when, when the, the Spirit is poured out and the people begin to speak in, in tongues, they begin to speak in languages that they did not previously know, and the miraculous things began to happen, uh, the question from the crowd was, what is this? And there, Peter says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he quotes this very text that we just read here. So what we're looking at here 
is God's promise has been fulfilled that he would pour out his spirit and that all people would be at least potentially able to experience the spirit. Of course, it, we have to believe, but for everyone who believes, there's no, there's no distinction. God is going to pour out his spirit upon all of his children. Our sons, our daughters are going to prophesy, and that was the promise that Jesus said was shortly going to come upon them. Now, let, let me say this. The thing that we're going to see over and over and over again, of course, if we read the Gospels, we see it as well. Uh, you can find it almost anywhere in the pages of Scripture in the New Testament. But what we're going to see in, as we go through the book of Acts is that the miraculous is front and center. The supernatural is front and center. And I say that because... It, it's easy for us to lose sight of the supernatural aspect of what we're involved in. And this is not just a problem that we have today. This has always been the case throughout the long history of the church. You have, usually you have like these, these two sort of um, camps almost where, where there are those who de-emphasize the supernatural and those who overemphasize the supernatural. That's one way of looking at it. So, you know, there are many Christians throughout all of history that went through their Christian life and they understood it just more from an intellectual standpoint or they understood it more from a, uh, like a liturgical uh, standpoint, you know, where you go through a ritual or something like that. You've got that on the one side. And then you've got another side where people just understood the Christian life to just be um, wild and crazy, supernatural things that... Uh, there was no rhyme or reason for them. It was just like, wow, God's doing all kinds of crazy things. We still see that today among certain charismatic groups. But both of those positions are wrong. Both of them are extremes. And the Bible keeps us right in the center. Of course, the Bible tells us that we're to love God with our mind. The Bible puts an, an emphasis on doctrine and theology and all of those things, but not to the exclusion of the supernatural. Not to the exclusion of depending on God. Not to the exclusion of the expectation that God is going to show up and do something that no person could do. He's going to do supernatural things. And that is what Jesus is informing them of. And of course, at this point, that's been limited to just them, right? They're the apostles. They're the ones that have been with Jesus. Jesus has been the one who's been doing the majority of the miracles. He's given them power on occasion to do that. Jesus is saying, now what you've been experiencing, that's going to be for everybody. Everybody that is uh, going to believe in me, everybody that's going to follow me is going to experience the promise of the Father. Now, in talking about the promise of the Father, Jesus also uses this, uh, this phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and this again is one of those things that you have some controversy among Christians about. Uh, some people believe that the baptism of the Spirit is something that every single Christian experiences this uh, at the moment of conversion, and that's just, it's just that simple. That's what it is. Everybody, you know, once you believed in Jesus, you're baptized in the Spirit, and that's it. Uh, others believe that this is um, in addition to what happens when you receive Christ, that this is something 
other than that. It's something different than that. It doesn't make you any more saved, but it, it a- actually adds something uh, to your experience. So the baptism with the Spirit, I think, I think biblically you can actually build the case that it is something additional to what we get upon conversion. Now, the men that Jesus is, uh, the, the guys that he's speaking to right here, note this, that they have already had Jesus breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. That, that's already happened. So when Jesus rose from the dead, and his disciples, you know, gathered to him over those 40 days. John records for us in the 20th chapter that there's this, this point where Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And whosoever sends you, uh, retain, they are retained. Whoever sends you, forgive, they are uh, forgiven. And, and then it says this, it says, and then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I personally think when Jesus did that, as John tells us, I think they did receive the Holy Spirit. I think they received the Holy Spirit in the sense that it was at that moment that they were converted, regenerated. It was at that moment that the Spirit of God took up residence in them like he does in us when we put our faith in Christ. You see, they believed in Jesus before, but Jesus hadn't died and risen from the dead yet. So the indwelling of the Spirit that is common to all believers was not yet their experience. So it seems to me that Jesus is talking to men who have already received the Spirit in one sense, but now he's talking about something in addition to that. So the distinction is this. The distinction is between regeneration and indwelling and baptism and empowering. So the word regenerate means to make alive. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the moment you believe in Jesus, you are regenerated, you are made alive. And you are made alive because the Spirit of God comes and brings you to life and indwells you. That's what happens to everyone who believes in Jesus. But what we're talking about, when we're talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is we're not talking about regeneration and indwelling. We're talking about an immersion, because that's what baptism means, and an empowering. So this is for power. So like I said, I think these guys, they're already indwelt by the Spirit. Now think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus was, from... (laughs) His conception filled with the Spirit, right? He's, God, he's God's Son. He's the Son of God. So there's never a time Jesus is not filled with the Spirit just by His very nature, but there comes a time where the Spirit comes upon Him. We read about it in His baptism. Remember? He's baptized by John, and as He comes up out of the water, the Spirit descends upon Him in the form of the dove, The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what happens after that? It's after that that Jesus begins his ministry. It's after that that he goes forth in that power to raise the dead and to heal the sick and to cast out the demons and all of that kind of thing. So what happened to Jesus, I think, is the same thing that Jesus is telling these men is going to happen to them. Now, 
just a quick and I think an important side note. Now, as Jesus is telling them about this, they, they've got something else on their mind. And this is it. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, remember, these guys, they really didn't understand God's plan. They didn't understand the Messianic program. They thought, like all of their contemporaries in Israel thought, that the Messiah was going to mainly do one thing. He was going to come, and he was going to boot out the oppressive Romans, and he was going to set up the kingdom of David, and that was going to be a worldwide reign. That's what they thought. Now, during the life and ministry of Jesus, they're perplexed. He's talking about dying and rising again. And every time they hear this, they're looking at each other like, what is he talking about? You see, because in their mind, the Messiah didn't die. He was a conquering hero. And so this is, so now they figured, okay, we got, we got, I guess we got that wrong because he did die, but now, but now he's back. So now it must be time for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. So that's what they're asking him. You know, it's the same question that we're asking today. They were just asking him back then. Now for us, it's Lord, when are you coming back? For them, it was like, Lord, you're here, so let's just do it now. But today people are sitting around speculating about, trying to figure out, when is Jesus coming again? Now, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but did you know that Jesus is supposed to come back on September 23rd? That's the new thing. So, you know, we've had so many of these things over the past several years, and over the past couple centuries, we've had so many of these things. But I just saw this, literally, a few minutes ago on Twitter, that on the Fox News Science page, this is the article. It says, biblical prophecies say that Jesus will return September 23rd according to biblical numerologist. I want to tell you right now, Jesus is not returning on September 23rd. And if you want to argue about it, talk to me on the 24th. And, uh, <laughs> and then we won't even need to discuss it, right? But, the, but this is the kind of stuff that you just wonder, okay, is there ever a point where we figure out that no man knows the day or the hour means no man knows the day or the hour? You know, what part of that sentence do we not understand? Jesus made it crystal clear. No one knows when he is returning. And it's not our job. Now, I'm, I love Bible prophecy. I believe in Bible prophecy. I think it's important that we as God's people understand and know Bible prophecy. But listen, we're not to be obsessed with it. To the distraction from the main thing. What is the main thing? Jesus goes on and he tells them what the main thing is. And basically what I'm saying here is Jesus wants them, wanted them, and he wants us to stay focused on the main thing. So what is the main thing? It's not for you to know times or seasons. The Father has these in his own authority. That, that's, that's God's business. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus is saying to them, you know, don't worry about this. This isn't your thing. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything about this. This is, this is God's deal. And, and listen, that's the same word for us today. God will determine when Jesus will return. 
And God will orchestrate or allow to, you know, the world to line up in all of those ways. And, and you know, he didn't ask us to participate in that. That's his business. That's his job. He's doing that. What he's called us to do is to get the message of Christ to each and every person that's on the planet. That's what he's called us to do. You shall receive power. And so that's what Jesus tells them. That's the main thing. But you shall receive power. Now, like I said a minute ago, Christianity is, uh, it's marked by power, supernatural power. People often ask the question, well, do you believe in miracles today? Of course I believe in miracles today. I believe in God. And I believe in the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible and the message of the Bible tells me that the promises of the Spirit, which include miracles, they're for that generation lived then, they're for their children and their children, and even as many as the Lord our God shall call right to the very return of Christ himself. So we believe in the miraculous. We believe in the supernatural. And what we're talking about here is something that's supernatural. You shall receive power. Now, the word here, the Greek word, maybe you've heard this word, it's dunamis. Dunamis, we, this is the root word for our words, dynamic and dynamite. So if you think of those two words, I mean, you, you know, when you think about somebody who's dynamic. Uh, you know, I don't even have to explain it, right? You just, you can picture that. Or when you think of dynamite, I don't have to really explain that either, right? When dynamite blows up, it's, something happens. So Jesus is talking about us receiving dunamis, power. Now, the word dunamis is translated in various ways, but it's translated as power 77 times in the King James Version, it's translated as mighty work 11 times, and it's translated as miracle seven times. So what we're talking about here is a miracle. We're talking about a, a mighty work. We're talking again about something supernatural that's going to take place. But I want you to notice this. When the Spirit comes, and look at the word that Jesus used. Look at the preposition. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That takes us back to what I was saying a few moments ago. We're talking about something different. Now, Jesus had previously said to these same men, he said, it's recorded in uh, John chapter 14, I think it's verse, verse 27. Jesus had said to them then, or verse 17, uh, he said, the spirit dwells with you and he shall be in you. So at the time before Jesus had gone to the cross, the Spirit was with them. Jesus dies, goes to the cross, rises from the dead, gathers them together, breathes on them. The Spirit is now in them. But now he's talking about another experience. The Spirit shall come upon you. You see, the primary result of the Spirit coming upon us is power, supernatural power, God's power. Here's the good news. God has not left us to try to live the Christian life 
or to advance his kingdom in our own strength. We say that all the time, but we have to realize it's absolutely true. God has called us to live the Christian life, but then he's indwelling us by his spirit to enable us to do what we can't do ourselves. God has called us to go out into all the world with the gospel, something that is uh, daunting to say the least. We look at ourselves and think, well, you know, how could we possibly do this? We can't do it if it's left up to just our own strength or our own devices or our own ingenuity. God never intended us to do it that way. He wants to empower us by his spirit. His spirit comes upon us and that is the result. We receive supernatural power. Now, I know that some of you are probably going, I, I don't really know about this. Uh, I, I'm not sure about what you're talking about. I know that others of you, you might not be clear on it from a, you know, from a doctrinal theological standpoint, but, but you know the experience of it. And, and you know, I would venture to say that, you know, hopefully all of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us, uh, we've had those kinds of experiences where we have sensed that there's something beyond us that's taking place. There's something happening that's, that's beyond me. You know, I, I'm in a conversation with a person and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, sort of nudge towards speaking to them about Christ. And then I start to talk to them and I find that I, I, I'm just telling them things that I didn't even really realize that I knew. And I'm actually kind of marveling myself as I'm saying, wow, I didn't know I knew that, but that's really good stuff. I'm going to keep telling them. And, or, or maybe you just, you know, you, you suddenly just sense like, wow, I am, I am like saying this in such a great way. I don't really talk like this normally. I don't, you know, I don't have a vocabulary like this. It, you know, something beyond you is happening. Have you ever had that experience? That's the spirit. That's what the spirit does. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And that's what every one of us are potentially the recipients of this experience. Because this is, this is that coming upon of the Spirit. Now, what is the purpose? Well, like we've already indicated, the purpose is, and you shall be witnesses to me. That's the purpose. The purpose of the Spirit is to empower us to be a witness. Now, the word witness, the Greek word is martis. We know that word more familiarly as martyr. When we think of a martyr, what do we think of? We think of somebody who dies for their faith, right? Well, the word became applied to people who died for their faith because they died bearing witness to Christ. The Greek word is a word that really just referred to a witness. It referred to someone in a courtroom who testifies to what they have seen or heard. So Jesus says, the spirit will come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me. God is going to empower us to proclaim the gospel. That's what it is to be a witness to Jesus. It's to proclaim the gospel or to put it in an even more simple way. It's the power to tell the story of Jesus. You know, sometimes when we say, go out and proclaim the gospel, people are like, gee, what's that? What, I, don't, I don't even, I'm not sure exactly what the, you know, what are the five points of the gospel or what are the four spiritual laws? It's the story of Jesus. 
So God empowers us to go forth and to tell the story of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what that means to us. Who is he? He's God the Son who came into the world. What did he do? He died in our place. He rose from the dead to conquer death, and he ascended from the grave, or he ascended back into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit, and now he lives in the hearts of those who put their trust in him. The Spirit of God empowers us to bring this message to testify of who Jesus is and what he's done. And oftentimes that can happen in the context of your own personal story. You tell your story that is really a Jesus story because it's what Jesus did for you. And with the power of God helping you to do that, that is what is being talked about here, being witnesses to him. And notice it's Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, of course, that's where it all began. And that's in the, the people that it began with, that's where they were. But it basically is saying you start where you are and then you go out from there. And so that's what they did. So as we study here, we're starting in Jerusalem. And when we get to the end of chapter 28, we're going to find that Paul is there in Rome. But we're going to see between uh, chapter 1 and chapter 28, we're going to see that they went all over the place. They did exactly what it says here. And they actually went in, in sort of this order. They started in Jerusalem, then they went out to Judea, then they went up into Samaria, and then there's references to what happened in Galilee, and then it just you know, went beyond that into Syria, and then all, all around the world. And so for us today, it starts in our home base, so to speak of. As, as a congregation, it starts here, and then it goes out to our, uh, let's say, say, our county, and then we think about our state, and then we can think about our nation, and then we can think beyond the nations. You know, Pastor Chuck used to have a great way of kind of um, talking about how things happen exponentially, where wherever you go and you start a church, you basically plant a new Jerusalem from which you... Uh, you have a Judea, a Samaria, and you have the ends of the earth. And so everywhere you go, you've got all of these Jerusalems, and they've got their Judeas, Samarias, and that's the way things happen. That's the way things proceed. Now, let me just say this, and I know that you know this, but let me just remind you. This is the need of the moment. This is the need of the hour. Uh, what we need is to see the Spirit of God poured out. We need to be freshly empowered by the Spirit. We need this gospel to go forth, and we need to see lives transformed through the power of Christ. That's how things change. That's how society changes. That's how cultures change. It changes because people change. And this is, is the great need of the hour. Now, that's not to say that we don't need other things happening as well, to keep the sanity and to prevent everything from imploding. Yes, thank God for those other things that are happening. But, but the great need is this. And we are the people. You shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. See, we are the recipients of this. And so as we close today, there's just a few questions that I want us to think about. And number one is this, has the Spirit come upon you? Can you say, yes, I know the Spirit has come upon me? 
And if you're not sure, then you need to make that experience a reality. You need to make sure that you've had that because uh, from Jesus' perspective, this isn't really an optional thing. This is absolutely essential if the job is going to be done. Second question, are we witnesses to Jesus? Are, are, we, are we bearing witness to him? Are we testifying through our words? Are we speaking about Jesus? Now, we're going to see again as we go through you know, you might have a, a, a timid personality, which would then, you know, kind of keep you back from that sort of thing, because it's just not your personality. But the Holy Spirit is there to, not to change your personality, but to give you power within the, the context of your personality. And, and as we go through this, this book of Acts, what we're going to see is there were different personalities, different people with different giftings and things like that. But the power of the Spirit made the difference in everyone's life. So Timothy, for example, who we'll read about sometime here in the book of Acts, Timothy was by nature a very timid person, but he was also filled with the Spirit. And so God took that timid personality and added the power of the Spirit, and Timothy became an effective minister of the gospel and an effective evangelist. And so that's what the Lord is going to do. But there's not just the, the witness in, in word, but there's also the witness in deed, right? We need to be living the life. We need to be living the, the life of the Spirit. And then, thirdly, are we immersed in the Spirit? Because remember, after all, baptism means immersion. That's the meaning of the word. It means to be immersed. In, under the water is the picture. So are we immersed in the Spirit? Are we the people of the Spirit? Are we living with the, not just the consciousness of the supernatural, but are we living with the expectation of the supernatural? Are we living with the experience of the supernatural? You know, it's very subtle, but I, I know even from my own life experience, there are times when just the world itself just kind of, you know, it's working to take the edge off of our spiritual sensitivity. So we're not even thinking so much in terms of the supernatural. We're not so much expecting the Lord to supernaturally intervene, but we need to be living in that expectation. And if we're immersed in the spirit, we will be. And so here we go. Two things, finally. Because this is the experience that we're all to have. How can I assure that this will be my experience? Well, here Jesus said, wait until you receive power. Now, as a result of that, some people throughout the history of the church have said, well, in order to get this power, we need to wait. And they actually had meetings. You know, an old English word for wait is tarry. So they had what they called tarrying meetings. We're going to tarry. We're going to wait on the Lord to receive that power. Now, I'm not saying that that's an entirely bad idea, but they had to wait for a specific reason because this event was scheduled for 10 days later on God's calendar. This was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus is telling them to wait specifically for that day. So we don't have any specific day that Jesus says, okay, you know, wait till that day and then I will meet you and baptize you in the spirit. But I would say 
that waiting on the Lord, or in other words, spending time seeking him and saturating ourselves in the things of the spirit will certainly lend itself to us being more aware of his presence, and it will lend itself to us having this kind of experience versus just going about our merry way and not really taking time to think or do anything about it. So wait on the Lord. Spend time seeking him. Saturate yourself in the things of the Spirit. You know, we, we are just so bombarded by everything but the things of the Spirit, right? And so in order to, to really saturate in things of the Spirit, we have to wait in the sense that, you know, we kind of got to get away from some things. We, we got to be intentional and take some time. So that's one. Secondly, we are to ask. Ask, seek, knock is what Jesus said. And more specifically, he said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And in Luke's gospel, interestingly, now Matthew records that same thing for us. Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be opened to you. But Luke puts it in a different context. Luke puts it in the context of asking, seeking, and knocking for your father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, seek, and knock. Luke ties the asking, seeking, knocking to requesting that work of the Spirit. And so these are the two things I want to leave us with. Waiting on the Lord, asking him to do this, and expecting him to do it. But of course, it comes down even before that to the recognition we need this. God, I need this. Lord, please, would you do this in my life? So let's ask him for that. So Lord, we do pray as we take a minute just to pray for each other that you would cause your spirit to come upon us. And Lord, help us to wait on you to really take that time to saturate ourselves in the things of the spirit. Lord, help us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Lord, create in us a, a desire that wells up within us to where we just say, you know, I just can't, I can't live this life of um, just kind of this flat lining spiritually. Lord, I need to live in that dynamic life that you're talking about. Create that in us, we pray. And Lord, we pray that you would pour your spirit out upon your church in general. We pray, Lord, that the gospel will go forth in power and that many would be saved in our generation. Amen.